Calvary, Pastor Matt here. Uh, just wanted to let you know I wish I could be there with you today, but I, right now as you watch this, I'll be up at a young adult retreat with a whole great group of young adults here from Calvary. Uh, I wanted to leave you this video, though, just because I wanted to introduce the guest speaker who would be with you this morning. And so the guy who will be coming up to speak in just a second now uh, may look a little bit like me, it may sound a little bit like me, and that's because he's actually from the same family as me. And so my little brother Daniel is here with you today, and he graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2013, and he's now currently the youth pastor at a church called The Gathering House, located about an hour south of Ottawa in Chesterville. And I know he's been looking forward to being here with you, and I hope that you appreciate his preaching today. God's Word has the power to change your life today. And so I'll turn it over to him now, and why don't you all give Daniel a warm Calvary welcome as he comes. Okay, there we go. Yeah, as Matt just said, I'm Daniel. I am his younger brother. Um, there's five years in between us. Um, yeah, I've been a youth pastor now for just over a year, and I'm loving, loving life and loving uh, living out there. And I, I'm honored and delighted to be able to come here today and uh, to bring the word of God. And I just the the words that kept going through my mind as I was preparing for today was some words from John Piper, where he he brings out this phrase. He says. Um, when he's talking about preaching, he says, who is sufficient for these things? And the reality is, I know I'm not. And that, that's why I want to open up this time. And I want to I open up in a word of prayer. Now, there was something one of my profs used to do at Moody, and I, I really respected this. And what he would always say is, while I pray, I want to ask that you guys will pray with me. And while I preach, I want to ask that you'll pray for me as I preach and as I bring the word of God that nothing I say will be anything separate from what the Holy Spirit has to say today. So can I just open up in a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are here with us today. I pray for this day, Lord, that as we talk about faith versus fanaticism, Lord, that you will give me the words to say, that you will speak through me, and that your Holy Spirit will lead today, and that you will receive all the glory from today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, please open with me to Judges chapter 10. Now, I, I just want to give you a little bit of a background of the book of Judges. If you aren't familiar with this book, it kind of it starts off right after, well, it starts with Joshua still alive. They've just taken the promised land, but they failed to drive out the people, okay? They still have these false gods, and they start, or false religions around them, and they start to follow them. They hit this point where the judge or the leader would die. Israel would forget God. God would send a punishment in the form of another nation. Then God, or the people would cry out for a deliverer. God would send a deliverer in the form of a judge. The judge would die. Israel would forget God, and the cycle would start over. As they fall into sin, God sends a punishment. They call out for a deliverer. And this happened repeatedly. Now, the thing about this cycle was it's, rather than just staying the same, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the people around them kept getting worse and worse, and even the judges kept getting worse. And the place we're going today is Judges chapter 10 with the story of Jephthah. And 
we find that Jephthah is behaving like the people around him, and he's behaving like the pagans, and he, he doesn't have true faith in God. He, he has this position about him that is just wrong. He's a fanatic without faith. And I, I'm going to, as we go through the text, I'm going to explain that more. Now, just to use a little bit of an illustration, I, I, I kind of hypothetically, okay, hypothetical, I did not actually do this, but let's say I sat down with your pastor. We went out for coffee or went out for lunch, or, and I sat down and I said, hey, your, your church really doesn't like you. And, and I said, this is a message from your church. And I, I'm putting words in your church's mouth kind of thing. And I, I tell him all these things about him. And I, I love my brother. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay. How would you feel? How would you feel if I took words that were false and put them in your mouth? Here we come to the story of Jephthah. Where Jephthah is more than willing to put words in God's mouth. He's more than willing to take what God has said, and well, actually just his own opinions of what was okay with God, and practice them and teach them. And it's a problem. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, Judges chapter 10. Here's where we pick up the story of Jephthah. 10 verse 6, it says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asheroths and the gods of Aram the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed um, all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. And Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonites, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, And you cried out for me, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders and people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be head of all those living in Gilead. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get an inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. 
Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from Arnon to the Jabbok and all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king, saying, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the desert to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. The Israelites sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom would not listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next they traveled through the desert, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, and passed through the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of Arnon. They did not enter the territory of Moab, for Arnon was its border. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, Let us pass through your country to our own place. Sihon, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his men and camped at Jehez and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his men into Israel's hands, and they defeated them. Israel took over all the land of the Ammonites who lived in the country, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the desert to the Jordan. Now, since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right do you have to take it over? Will you not take what your God, Kemesh, gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight for them or fight with them? For 300 years, Israel occupied Heshbon, Aaron, the surrounding settlements and all the towns along Arnon. Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you, but you're doing wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord judge Lord let the Lord the judge decide between the this dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah to Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites 
will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns of Aaron to the vicinity of Minith, as far as Abel Karaman. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. Then Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah. Who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My Lord, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request. She said, give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. And then it continues on into the next chapter, a little bit of Jephthah and the Ephraimites. And Jephthah sends a message to them because they are upset that he went to war without them. He sends a message, and they end up attacking each other, and there's just a little bit of a civil war. And Jephthah leads his men to massacre fellow Israelites in the name of the Lord. Here we find this tragic story of Jephthah, an unlikely hero, someone God chose to lead his people, but someone who did not really know the Lord. I know it says he received the Spirit of the Lord at one point in his life and he, when he went out into battle. But we'll, we'll talk about that more. I, I, wanna, I want to talk, though, about faith versus fanaticism. You see, Jephthah was a fanatic for God without knowing God. He didn't really understand the God he was serving. He didn't trust the God he was serving, or he claimed to serve. He was just like the people around him. You see, the first thing that you see in this passage is that the people around him are trying to manipulate God. Did you notice that in in chapter 10 when we started? It, It said this whole idea here, it was talking about how they cried out for a deliverer. They cried out to God, God, save us now. We need you now kind of thing. And God says no. It's not that God doesn't want to save his people. It's that his people weren't repentant. You realize that it was after they were like, God save us, that they decided, oh, we better actually like, get rid of our false gods. Here they were, trying to worship God, trying to get God to defend them while they served their idols. As I look at that, a thought comes to me, do we not try to do the same thing all too often? Do we not try to say, God, we want whatever it might be, 
We want blessings from you. But at the same time, we want to serve the idol of self or success or whatever it might be. Do we not too often come to God and say, when we're living in sin, and say, sorry God, sorry God, but we continue in our sin? The reality of this is of this passage is so clear, and I think the same message that God speaks to the Israelites applies to us today, and that's this. He doesn't receive that worship. That worship is unacceptable to him. That's sinful. Repent, turn away from that, then come and worship me. Don't go saying, it's okay to be living in this sin and just be content in it. That's not what God wants. That's what the people of Israel had. That was their problem. They were content in their sinfulness. They didn't want to deal with God on his level. They wanted God to just just protect them. That's all they wanted. So the first thing I want to bring out in this whole thing is this. You know what? True faith requires repentance. True faith requires repentance. Repentance is more than just saying you're sorry. Repentance is turning away. Repentance is doing a 180. If you're realizing you're going in the wrong path and you're saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, and he's not listening to that. Repentance is turning around and turning to God. It's turning from your sin and turning to God. That's repentance. True faith, faith in God, requires That's the first thing that I see in the story of Jephthah. But that's not the last thing in the story of Jephthah. That's where it starts. When you you start out this journey of faith, it needs to start with repentance from your sin. But that's not where it ends. See, when Jephthah comes on the scene, he's this person who comes from a checkered past. Comes from a past where he's been driven out of his home. He's been living as a renegade, basically. He's an outlaw. The the term for adventurers here, they're they're criminals. (laughs) These are basically guys who have been robbing, they've been doing all sorts of crimes, and they have no home left. And they come together and they join up with Jephthah. He's a criminal mastermind. (laughs) He's just controlling them. Here's Jephthah. He's a mighty, mighty warrior. These guys have come to him. There's this checkered path, past. And here we find him coming up to, to the people when they come to him. And here he's using the Lord and trying to speak all holy and righteous. But as I think it was kind of clear in here, and I, I'm going to unpack it more, Jephthah really doesn't know the Lord. He's just like the people around him. You see, as we look at his story, when he's trying, he, first off, he, the people try to manipulate God, but then he's manipulating the people to make him basically their king. This story parallels the story of Gideon so much. The difference between the two, though, is that Gideon said, I don't want to be your ruler, I don't want to be your king. And Jephthah was like, I want that, give it to me. Here's these two men. But the thing is, they both kind of ruled like kings. You know, Gideon in his life, he says at the end of his story, he says, "Um, I don't want to be king, 
don't make me your king kind of thing, but then his son becomes an oppressor in Israel. And Abimelech, whose name means my father is king. Here's Gideon and here's Jephthah, two different men, both of which are putting these positions of king falsely, or leader falsely. And Jephthah, more so than Gideon, is using the name of God to get what he wants. He is saying, look, guys, make this, make this, he says here, the Lord is our witness. He's talking all high and mighty as if this is the Lord. And he says, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives gives them to me while I really be your head. He's using the Lord. He's trying to sound all high and mighty. But he doesn't know the Lord of who he's using as his terms. And here, I think there's a problem. And I think part part of true faith and faith in God requires that we don't just spiritualize things that are our own ideas. We don't just spiritualize things that are our own ideas. We don't just take these things and put God's name on it. That's what Jephthah's doing. And I, I keep saying he doesn't know the Lord, and that's because of what he does. You see, here he is, he's writing this letter. This is a very kingly letter to write. The letter he wrote was a very political, very kingly letter. This is what kings of old would do. If ever there was a war, they would write a letter like this. And this is exactly what he does. And then he goes and... So here, here he's manipulated the people. Then he tried to manipulate the king. And now he comes to the battle. And it says he received the spirit of the Lord. Uh, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He crossed Gilead in verse 29. And Manasseh passed through Mizpah to Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house, when I re- to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Here's Jephthah trying to manipulate the Lord. He doesn't know the God he's serving, because if he did, he would know that God won't be manipulated. God had already predetermined that he was going to win that battle. That's why he gave him his spirit. He won that battle in spite of the vow, not because of the vow. Jephthah did exactly what the people around him did at that time. You see, whenever they, there, was, there is recorded things of the sacrifices to these gods... There were false gods saying, because you have given me this victory, I have given you this as my vow. And they would sacrifice people, and they would sacrifice animals to their false gods. And Jephthah is doing no different. He is looking like the people around him. He is trying to manipulate God. Now, as I... As I prepared for this, I kind of a thought came to me, and it was this. I, I don't know about you guys, but I know when I was young, I was probably about, I, I think, grade eight, grade nine, somewhere in that range. I remember this time when I had a, a faith crisis in my life. See, what had happened was, um, like I was, I'd grown up in the church. I was. I think a pretty good Christian boy kind of thing idea. 
And, and what happened was my grandma died suddenly. And I, I kind of, I took that and I said, God, how can you do that to me? And I was furious at God. See, what I had done passively was I had kind of made a, the same kind of vow to, as Jephthah had. I would kind of passively determined that, God, as long as you bless me, I serve you. God, as long as you're good to me, I serve you. God, as long as you give me the victory, I serve you. I want to challenge this idea because too often when something goes wrong in in believers' lives, it's too often, God, how can you do that to me? Why would you ever do that? And we challenge God, and I think it's because we haven't accepted what he's truly doing through it. And we haven't accepted the fact that he's in control. And we have a hard time with that. And we blame God as if, And to steal the words of Job, we will accept good from God, but not wrong. Or not not things that hurt. And we too often go into this place like Jephthah, where we have to stand. Or we say too often things like, oh God, why? Like I've done so much for you. Or we look at someone else's life and say, they've done so much. How can they suffer from something like cancer? And we question this because in a way we've passively made vows to the Lord. God, I will serve you as long as you have everything in my life together. God, I will worship you as long as everything works out. And we're like Jephthah too often. Now, sadly, Jephthah didn't know the Lord. I, I think he didn't know the Lord. He, he thought he had a concept, an idea of the Lord, but his idea and concept was based off the world around him. It was not based off the God of the Bible. You see, when Jephthah came back from the victory and his daughter says, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of the tambourines. She was an only child except for her. She had ne- he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. And then you skip down a few verses, and it says, After two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. She was a virgin. This is a hard, hard passage. You see, Jephthah vowed to the Lord rashly, and he reasoned with the Lord wrongly. You see, what he says here. It's completely wrong in the Old Testament law. You see, if you, if you know the Old Testament law at all, there's several places where God says things along the lines of this. He says in Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, he says this, 
You must not worship the Lord your God in their ways, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their God. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13, it says this, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his sons or daughters in the fire, who practices divinations or sorcery, interpretation, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. God detests human sacrifices. He despises them. They are wicked. And here's Jephthah saying, look, in worship to you, God, because you gave me what, I've, what I requested, let me sacrifice my only daughter. And God detests Jephthah said, I've made a vow to the Lord and I cannot break it. That wasn't true either. Leviticus 27, verses 1 through 6, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate persons to the Lord by giving equivalent values, set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels. Um, uh, 50 shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel. And if it is a female, set her value at 30 shekels. If it is a person between the ages of 5 and 20, set the value. Get the idea. God was saying you can redeem them with a price. You can purchase them back if you vow a human to the Lord. Offer a sacrifice instead. Offer an offering to the Lord instead. But here's Jephthah, trying to worship God in a way God does not want to be worshipped because he neither knew God nor he knew God's law. Jephthah was sincere. There's no doubt about it. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. That's the problem with Jephthah. He thought he was worshipping God. He thought he had it all figured out. He was sincerely wrong. I mean, it's all, it's, it, I, I can hardly even make the comparison, but it's kind of, I mean, it's almost like a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you know? They're sincerely wrong. They're cheering for the wrong team, but they're wrong, okay? <laughs> Here's Jephthah. He's trying to worship the Lord, but he's wrong. He's sincere. He's sincere enough to kill his only daughter, but he's wrong. And here, here we find this tragic, tragic story with huge, massive implications. You see, I, I, I want to I say this. As I look at the story in Judges of Jephthah and the life and the people of Israel, the first thing that I saw and that I want you to catch is that 
True faith requires repentance. It requires a turning from your sins and turning to God. Secondly, it, it requires that you, you live for God and not just, you walk the walk and just, just talk the talk, really. Don't just talk spiritual. Actually live godly. Don't, don't ever get to this place where you are more sincere about doing the work of God without knowing the will of God. There's, there's churches out there, and actually I'll use a few examples. One, I mean, one example, prime example from church history is the Crusades, where people justified this as a reason to go to war, you know, because they weren't Christians. And they justified the massacre of people in the name of the Lord. They were, they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. It, the, other, the other one modern day that comes to mind is Westboro Baptist Church in the States, which is that church that goes around and pickets funerals and has this whole thing about how God hates gays, etc. And they, they rejoice in any kind of destruction of America because it's, they, they say it comes upon them because of their position on theology, which is wrong. These issues of having a sincerity without knowing God. As I as I look at this, there's a few a few thoughts that come to mind, and there there's a few few ideas that I, I think I, I think in this in this passage, I think one of the things we need to do we need to make sure we're doing is that we know the God we serve. We need to fall in love with Him. And we need to pursue Him. Because when our sincerity for God outgrows our knowledge of God, it becomes fanaticism. When we start doing things for God without knowing what His Word has said, it's fanaticism. If it's not fanaticism, it's idolatry. We, we too often, one of the things that comes to mind is this, is too often in, in the name of God do we do things like sacrificing our kids' futures. And here, let me explain that. You see, too often I've heard people say things like, I need to work hard and be successful and I, they don't spend time with their kids. And they don't instill in their kids the idea that church and God is important. And in fact, they rather, in a way, whether passively or actively, they teach their kids that church and God come second to their career, to their sports, to their dance, to their swimming, etc., and the idea gets passed to their kids that, you know what, church isn't that important. And when, when the parents grow up and leave, or and when the kids grow up and leave the church, the parents come and say, what happened? And sadly, it's because there's a, there's a lack of an emphasis on why church is important. There's a lack of teaching why our 
kids need to know and love the Lord. And sadly, it comes to this place where there's problems. And, and too often, I hear excuses. I, I mean, I work, I'm a youth pastor, and I, there's some of my youth who are never at church. I've seen them five or six times in the year. Because they have their track meets, they have their swim, they have their dance, they have their job, they have, and their parents have taught them passively, without realizing that it that it is worth it to gain the world and lose your soul. And scripture teaches the reverse. Jephthah lost his chance at a godly legacy by killing his only child. My, my fear in the church today is that I would hate to have any one of you lose a godly legacy because you've sacrificed a child and the dreams of success or, or anything else. Where we've put these things on pedestals and we've worshipped and served those things rather than the Creator. And as I look at this story, I'm fearful. And I am I stand here and I say, how can we stop this? Because this is so wrong when these things happen. And I think one of the things that comes to mind so often is something my roommate used to say. He said this, the more you know someone, the more you love them. And the more you love them, the more you want to know them. That's what he would say repeatedly, and the same goes for God. The more you know God, the more you love God. And the more you love God, the more you want to know Him. What does it look like to love God? It's obedience to God. That's what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will do what I command. It is living for God. It is following Christ. This is what it looks like. Obeying the commands of Christ. Falling in love with Christ. But the way to do that is knowing what he says in his word. How on earth can we ever say we're following Christ if we don't know what Christ commands? I think as we go to the word of God, we have to come to this place of saying, that this is our authority. This is what we're basing our life on. I remember one time when I was younger, I sat down with my dad, and we were talking. He, he asked me, he said, how do you define success? I gave him some answer. I don't even remember my answer. But I remember him telling me this. He said, success is knowing and loving the Lord. He said, if you end up a garbage man who loves Jesus, you're better than the richest man in the world who does not know Jesus. And as I look at this whole thing, and I, I don't know a person in church who does not want to leave a godly legacy who has met Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, who does not want to leave a godly legacy. And with that being said, 
I want to challenge you. Teach your children. Instill in them. If you don't have children, instill in your grandchildren. If you don't have grandchildren or children, instill it in the kids in this church. Invest in them that it is important to know and love the Lord. I I say this because, I mean, I, I don't have any kids. I'm not married yet. But my nephews go to this church, Peter and Stephen. And if, if you guys set a godly example and show to them why church is important and you teach them and you equip them, then to you I am thankful. Because my nephews will know the importance of church and the importance of God and the, know the importance of loving Christ. Instill it in your children. Pursue godliness. Fall in love with Christ. Do you want to leave a legacy? Then, then show them the importance of this book. Teach them. Love them. Love the Lord. Obey the Lord and serve Him. Can I just pray for you guys? Dear Lord, as we just looked at the idea of faith versus fanaticism, what it looks like to be someone who is of faith um, versus someone who is putting your words on things that you're not for, I want to pray that we will live for you, that we will raise our children and our youth and our grandkids to know and love you. I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we will seek you first and foremost in our life, that we will be a people who know you and love you and are sincere for you. But I pray that our sincerity for you will never surpass our understanding of you. I want to pray, Lord, for this congregation that you will bless them and you will keep them and that everything we do will be for your glory and for your purpose. Praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name.